Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on 5x5. Bandwidth for October has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them on 5x5. My guest this week is Virginia Roberts. She's an online dating coach. What does that mean, Virginia? Well, it's kind of weird. It means I met my husband online and I helped my friends meet their husbands online. And eventually I started charging people money, but I still don't think I do a great job of describing it because it's a really weird job that I just made up sometime in the early 2000s. So so you're like uh, like an online dating service, but with a personal touch? Sort of. I don't have a service. Like I don't have a site like Match where I have members that I would match up. I don't have enough clients to run such a thing, even if I wanted to. Um, I basically help people figure out which of those services to use, and then I help them use it well. So like coming up with a username when they're stumped and freaked out or stuck with something that they first made in like 1996 on LiveJournal or, well, you know, the years are off, but you get my idea. (laughs) (laughs) And like then I'll help them, you know, figure out how to answer all those glaring questions in a way that is true to their personality, but maybe a little bit more effective in strategy than what they would have done on their own without my guidance. And then I'll help them kind of figure out who to write to and who to ignore and how to kind of go on dates that are safe and not awkward and all of that stuff. So spin and damage control. (laughs) Basically, yeah. I'm like a terrible, heartless PR person, but with a little bit more soul, I like to think, because, you know, I think people really appreciate having human guidance for something that they find really intimidating. You know, online dating is natural for some people, but it's weird for a lot of people. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't imagine... I just, I would never trust anyone because I wouldn't trust myself to be honest on a service. Yeah. And that was a big problem when it first got started. Like, I think everybody was dishonest and suspicious of other people being dishonest. And I think, I mean, this is going to sound really lame and like New York Times pull quote about like millennials, but like, I really do think that the younger generation has an innate sense of how to be more transparent about what they're like than people in their 30s and 40s and up do. So it's interesting to observe different behavior. Like, I think that's why Tinder works for them and not so much for like the 40-something set. It's obviously there's an element of like you're using it to hook up more than like settle down and find a marriage too. But there's just this ease that they have, these younger folks with just sort of putting themselves out there that I think the rest of us have struggled with more because we haven't grown up with the internet in our backyard, you know? Do you you have any theories about why growing up with the internet, uh, you know, like growing up with constant connection like that would make someone more transparent? I mean, I think it's almost that they've figured out that it's, that there's a certain amount of pointlessness between having this Think about it. If it's strangers on the internet, then you can still be fake, right? Like Kim Kardashian's weird selfies that are clearly like, I don't know. I don't look at them, but I hear about them. And then like they show up in my, you know, uh, Google News alerts for selfie or whatever. But like, you know, that's obviously like not real. But when you go to school, like middle school and high school with your peers who all have Facebook and Instagram accounts and you see what they're like in class and you see what they're like online so closely too, I think that there's like that gap closes a little more because you have that comparison point. Right. You and, know? Think, and we didn't have social media in high school, right? Or at least I didn't. Right, right. No, I didn't have the Wi-Fi didn't exist. I was at a right. middle school the other day and realized they had a fiber connection on Wi-Fi 
with guest access and it just blew me away like the idea of having that but i think that uh it, like in this world of selfies the younger generation understands how to read a selfie they know that when someone takes a selfie they're putting forward their best self and they can extrapolate from that what a person might really be like but you know what? I thought that and I was playing around. So there's this app shots of me that like a lot of our sort of Apple nerd community friends have helped out with. Um, I think um, not Mule Design, uh, Jesse Char's design place that she's leaving. Pacific Helm did some of the design work for it. And they did a podcast episode on Let's Make Mistakes talking about it. And it's heavily backed by Justin Bieber. It's basically like a social network for teens to share selfies. And I'm I'm making an app. Uh, that we'll probably talk about in a minute. And making should really be in like a lot of air quotes. (laughs) But I'm attempting to make an app that helps people take more flattering selfies. And I was looking to shots of me for like a little bit of just market research, whatever. And I actually don't think if I wanted to try to sell that company our technology once we finally finish developing it, I don't know that they would be interested in it because I actually think that teens are more okay taking unflattering selfies than adults. And maybe partly that's just that whole beauty of youth. Like they don't have anything to worry about. You know, they don't have seven chins to avoid accidentally showing with the wrong angle yet kind of thing. But it's also like, I think that they have more, like, I think they're more chill and fun about it than we are. Like we grownups tend to get a little more posed. And so I don't know, like, I think on the one hand, you're right that teens know how to parse that stuff. And on the other hand, they don't they don't care to necessarily make it always best. It's like it's more about showing the fun moment than it is about showing them looking great. And that's something that I'm always striving to like teach my older clients who want to use their LinkedIn headshot as their dating profile picture. And I'm like, <laughs> let's let's step back. <laughs> yeah, I can't uh, I can't imagine what the world would have been like for me. There are uh, that I know of four pictures of me between the ages of. 17 and 21. Yeah. Like I just, I did not, it wasn't that I was avoiding the camera. It just wasn't part of life. Well, and you're like a straight cis guy who works in tech, right? You I don't wasn't have then. A, oh, okay. Well, but I mean the social cues that some of us, I don't know. Like, I think that it depends on your gender. It depends on your everything, your race. But I do think that like women, tend to have more good pictures of themselves because we've been taught that that's important by society, whether that's true or not. And guys tend to have fewer as a super broad generalization because they haven't been fed this like attractiveness is how you're measured, you know, story. Yeah. My, pi- my pictures I mean, are all bloody. <laughs> like I'm, I'm bleeding in most of the pictures of me. Cause that's why you captured the image because something crazy happened. So somebody, somebody decided that that was, I don't know, tough or or interesting, and they take pictures of me. Like, no one back then was taking pictures of themselves, or right. very so few people. Right, 70 to 21, that's an old, that's like, that's before we had, you know, like, constant digital cameras. Right. There weren't, yeah. at that point, there, the only digital cameras were, like, those little 800 by 600 snapshot cameras, or you had a leaf back on a very high-end camera. And it just, yeah, you know, it wasn't an option. I don't think I have boatloads of pictures of me from that age range either. I have like the terrible high school dance ones. And then I have a series that a friend of mine shot of me and I shot of her with her nice camera for our yearbook pictures because we were allowed to submit whatever we wanted as seniors. And I'm like barefoot 
sitting on a beach, very <laughs> happy and very me and very like, fuck you establishment. I'm not going to do the posed like nice with my arms together in front of a tree sort of senior picture that you want out of me. Like that was my incredibly, incredibly tame rebellion. There was no blood. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, my senior pictures were shot in one of those photo booths that you put a dollar in. Oh, nice. And so it's just me with a mohawk in four different poses. I think that's cute though. I mean, I remember there was a guy in my high school, I think he was a year or two ahead of me who was starting to get into like Photoshop and digital photography and digital image manipulation. And I graduated in 1999. So this was like at the beginning of that being allowed, you know, being a thing that you could access as a high school kid. And his picture was like grossly distorted on some kind of crazy green screen background. It was like something that you would make with like a 99 cent app nowadays, but it was like so ahead of its time (laughs) at the time. And I think that he must cringe when he looks back, like a photo booth is timeless in a way. Those are still fun. Like I still take those pictures when I have ones ever, you know, and see a photo booth. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They're classic. Yeah. So, so you, you're working on an app. That's what sort you said, of. right? Yeah, I'm trying to. Um, you want me to tell the whole story, I guess? Let's do it. <laughs> so I, um, I've been a regular caller in to quit on 5x5, now known as Grit. And uh, somebody heard me talking on that show and just reached out and was like, you seem cool. I like your energy. I think it would be fun to work on a business venture with you. I'm a coder, but I've never made anything on iOS before. His name is Brandon. He's my, he's at Developish on Twitter. And we started teaming up to make an app. Um, it took us a while to nail down what we wanted to do. And it's still always evolving. But um, because it's such a hardcore side project for both of us, we're really like we're really slow at making progress. But I think we have a good idea finally after several turns where like it wasn't that amazing an idea. And I've always been kind of driving the design process because he's the coder and because I wanted to make something that was tangentially related to online dating, even though I wasn't sure what that would be. And so our app is basically something to help you. Like, I don't like selfies. I don't think they're a good thing. I don't like that. That's a word we all use and know now, but I recognize that I'm the old fuddy-duddy that's going to, you know, get steamrollered with this social thing. So I should get on board. And so I'm basically making an app with him to try to help people take selfies that are less ugly. And we actually want to help solve that, you know, I don't have any cute pictures of me problem for lots of people for all of their social media avatars too, not just for online dating. Like basically we want to trick people with this app into looking relaxed and happy and natural on camera when it snaps. Is is it kind of secret how you do this? Uh, I mean, I've never talked about it on a show before. And I feel like... Maybe it's best one, proprietary. I don't... The thing is, I don't think it's some brilliant idea that's like best proprietary. But basically, like our gimmick is that it's a front-facing camera that's always capturing and always focusing and kind of using facial detection stuff. But we don't show you that part as much as we show you other stuff that's meant to distract you from the fact that that's what's happening. Cognitive disruption. There you go. You named my app. (laughs) (laughs) That'll fly with the marketing team. Oh, I'm sure. No big deal. I'm sure that totally appeals to the like 16 year olds who want to take selfies. That's, that's a real buzzword. (laughs) So have you been getting into coding at all? Uh, You know, 
I volunteered at App Camp for Girls as um, that was an awkward plural. I'm um, Seattle pilot this year. So they they did their first non-Portland week in Seattle in August. And I took a week off from my usual clients and my like corporate overlords at my part-time job at Microsoft. And I um, volunteered for a week. I was not one of the coders or even one of the like team project managers. I was the MC, like facilitator. Just, you know, it was kind of funny. I kept saying how awkward I felt being cast in that role when I felt like I'd done less work to organize the camp, but every single person involved was like, you are more extrovert than us. Please take this microphone. Like, please do this job. You're comfortable riffing when there's dead air and we're not. So I was like the very underprepared MC. I felt. And then I also taught one segment of the camp that was like sort of about like unequal gender representation in in STEM fields and also how to deal with like mean boys on the internet, basically. So it was kind of a hodgepodge. But um, I, I followed along on the first day. I We were using Objective-C and not Swift. And I I followed like the templates that the coding instructors gave. And I made, <laughs> I'm so pretentious, I made a trilingual Hello World app. And I was so excited that I made something that did something. But um <laughs> On, on the rest of the week, I actually wound up having to loan out my MacBook Pro to the coders because their slower machines weren't really cutting it and were having problems with projecting. And I was just like, here, just take this. So I didn't get the opportunity to keep tinkering with the code hands-on. And that's really what I need, right? I need people and hands-on activity. I don't self-study very well without that social environment. So I keep lobbying Gene McDonald, the founder, to do app camp for ladies. And if that ever happens, <laughs> I'll, I'll spend whatever it takes to attend slash volunteer, whatever, whatever, you know, needs to happen to make that a reality. A lot of us have been requesting it. Um, but I'd like to learn to code more. I mean, I think Brandon is going to do the bulk of the coding for this app, but I would, I had always in, envisioned stepping in at the stage where we had a prototype that was working but not working great. I'm good at combing through the code and finding areas where something might be causing the problem I'm experiencing, especially if I get an error report. Because I've worked in QA and I know how to like hack my way through that even though I'm not a coder, you know? Yeah, but that's the first step. Yeah. Like for me, for me, uh, uh, disassembling working code is far more effective than trying to build something from scratch. And once I've disassembled it, I can go back and I can build from scratch. But you said a couple of magic words for me that are going to pull me off of our topic list. Go for it. Okay. So a lot of speakers that I know, a lot of people who are good at emceeing are actually introverts. They're able to put on that, that kind of uh, that mask and be social for that, that limited time they're on stage and, and they're dynamic and they're very interesting do you consider yourself a true extrovert or are you a temporary extrovert? I'm a split. So, and it's funny, nobody believes me when I say this because people tend to only see my extrovert side and I really play it up heavily for for the areas of the culture in which I'm public. But I test, when I take those Myers-Briggs tests, like I'm 45% of the time extroverted and 55% of the time introverted. So I'm right in the middle and... I definitely doesn't that just make you verted? I know, like I call it flextrovert or ambivert, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I don't, I don't, and I mean, they always say like, oh, here are these really hard 
measurements that we gave you that are immutable for your personality. And then they're like, but no one is 100% you like I, like that would make you a sociopath. And it's like, okay, well, thanks for that really careful diagnosis. Really, really helpful. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I'm definitely, and that's, you know, that's what it was. I had this really funny, weird experience. Hi, Liz, if you're listening to this <laughs> towards the end of camp, I, I came into like the room that we had volunteered, like reserved space, you know, where it was just like, counselors prepping between sessions and stuff. I came and sat in there and for no clear reason, I was like, I think I'm going to take a minute just like muttering to myself. And one of the coordinators asked me if I was okay. And I swear that I was fine. But the act of being asked, I suddenly just started weeping. And I was just like, this is the pressure of being public to a room full of being on in a way that I'm not used to being on for an entire week. Cause it was like near the end of the week. And I just like something in me broke. I was like, Oh, turns out I wasn't that okay. Apparently since I'm sobbing all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> so, that could be a I lot of know. things, but I would, I, it would take me maybe if I had to be on for even a full day and I couldn't just crawl away and hide. I, I had a nightmare the other night that I was, I was in San Francisco. I was staying in a hotel for a week and there was this party going on on the same floor and the line for the party somehow went through my apartment. Oh, God. So I had come back to my apartment just wanting to hide, as I always do. You know, like, I can be quite social for limited periods of time, and then I just need to go be alone. And my mom was in line for this party, <laughs> and she was in the part that was going through my room, and she was asking me all these questions. She's very extroverted. Um, asking me all these questions and I, I started crying and I yelled in my sleep, everybody get out. And my wife was like, what, what did I do? Who, who needs to get out? And then I tried to explain half awake what was going on and it was a mess, but that is my nightmare. I mean, it really, it really is. And I think the problem for me is that I am extroverted enough that I don't always realize when I need to block out some space. And everybody who knows me reads me as extroverted. So they get kind of, I perceive that they get snippy or offended. I don't know if they actually do when I like put off social engagements or like don't reply to emails or like do these things that are kind of creating a hide bubble for me. And then I also am introverted enough that I don't remember if I, like I went through a <laughs> surgery earlier and I didn't sort of remember to reach out and create some kind of social support structure so that I wasn't just alone for six weeks in pain by myself with Netflix, like, which turns out isn't a good scene, even though to my head it sounded nice because I, it turns out I needed to see humans uh, during that time to feel like a sane human myself. But I didn't know that. Like I'm so kind of, I'm such a like baby when it comes to self-awareness about some of this stuff. Like I'm 33 and I feel like I'm only now figuring out my personality in the way that like an 18 year old should, but it's changed a lot too. No 18 year old has that stuff figured yeah, out. True. <laughs> I'm 36. I'm just this year. I started to realize exactly how it all works for me. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's comforting. That's promising. <laughs> and realized that getting married was a really smart thing for me to do because nice. I only need six weeks in bed or, or, you know, stuck in a house, fine by me. But I do need that one person to confide in and to talk to and to hear from. Yeah, you know, I never feel, I mean, I get plenty of space from my husband and he gets space from me. We're both only children and like um, who had step siblings kind of like introduced to us later in life. And I think it was jarring for both of us. Like we're used to having a lot of 
our own space and time and freedom. And when we bought this house together, we bought a pretty big house with like a separate floor that if we wanted to have that be his, like, this is where you go and hang out and play video games undisturbed. You have that available to you, you know, because we wanted, I don't know, we like wanted to have plenty of space, even when we start a family and have kids running around all the time. Like we didn't want anybody to feel trapped or cramped. And I I never feel like I need time away from him the way I need time away from the world and like friends at large, you know, that, that spousal connection is like, I think you're right. Like for certain people, that's just right. And I think for some people that's not just right. And that's why there's, you know, all these fear of commitment stories about certain people who don't want to settle down. Like everyone really is different. And that, that marriage path doesn't actually fit everyone. Oh yeah. I can totally, I can totally relate to people who don't fit into it. I understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I just know that it worked out really well for me. And yeah, me fortunately, too. fortunately before it worked out before I understood that it was actually what I needed. Right. I, I kind of got lucky before yeah. I put myself well, in a lifelong awesome. situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it isn't like, it isn't like a personality test you take or like a, a job you try <laughs> right. on for a year. So it's, it's good that you took, you know, the right gamble, right? <laughs> yeah. For once in my life. So uh, you, you, I want to segue into this dog thing. I don't have a good segue for it, but we're talking about like home life. Yeah. And you mentioned that you felt like you could potentially ruin it by getting a dog. Well, okay. So, I mean, this is complicated. Like we are going to have kids um, eventually. Like we have always wanted a dog, but neither of us has ever grown up with a dog. I briefly had a roommate who had a dog and that's like my most consistent exposure and the roommate was really weirdly clingy about being like the only one to walk the dog or I don't know. I think she was like jealous of the dog feeling affection towards me and my um, (laughs) then boyfriend, now husband. So that was a weird situation, but like we've never really tried dog ownership and we, we don't have great discipline with ourselves, let alone our cat, let alone like children that we don't have yet. And everyone that I know who's a good dog owner is like pretty pretty darn hardcore with their dogs, like very consistent, very clear, you know, the rules don't get broken. And like, if you look at, I don't know, our weight or our procrastination habits or caffeine intake or whatever, like we don't have that great discipline and moderation. (laughs) See, I'm fortunate to be married to someone who does and who's also a professional dog trainer. But what I've learned is like the old school, like constantly correcting behavior it's it's done with like you don't have to be that person anymore uh like modern dog training very much focuses around rewarding good behaviors and you can literally ignore bad behaviors and just promote the good behaviors which for people like you and i it sounds like it, it's an ideal situation we can as long there you do it does require consistency you can't send mixed messages but you don't constantly have to be hovering around waiting for them to do something wrong you just encourage the good behavior. And and for most dogs, it evens out. Well, that's really comforting. I remember hearing you mention on an old episode of Systematic, I forget which one, that How to Train Your Dragon 2 had come out and that it was actually like like the, the first one and the second one were really good models for like yeah. appropriate discipline. And I've been meaning to see it partly also because this environmental canvasser came knocking on my door and she was nice and we were chatting for a while and she saw my cat asleep on the couch with his eyes slitted open <laughs> and she said that he looked exactly like the dragon in that movie. So now I double want to see it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I've been I've actually been meaning to watch that as like research for future dog ownership. Um so that's really that's like a good 
reassuring them to hear because I also think that I'm, I don't know, I'm a, one of the things that I love about my spouse that I didn't know was an important quality in a spouse until I met someone that, that possessed this quality was that he's a complete and total softy about cute, innocent things, kids, animals. <laughs> like he, he becomes, you know, putty around a sweet, cute dog. And that is really um, kind of symbolic of like a very nice part of his nature. Um, but I, I do think that because we're both kind of like that, it, it'll work a lot better to not have to be mean in the face of bad because we're not going to enact on that consistently, whereas we would with encouragement. Like that's just more comfortable to our... Yeah, it is for most people. Well, good, because I had this, I don't know, I think you've, you mentioned that like that, I never, I've never seen that Caesar What's-His-Face show ever because I have no patience for non-narrative fiction TV, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, I understand him to be a meanie and that's not how I live. (laughs) Yeah, no, you can actually practice this stuff on your cat. Hmm. Oh, we have, we've, we've trained our cats to do all kinds of stuff. Cats are, they're a little bit like it works best with dogs and and chickens for some reason um and even horses because they have a desire to please whereas cats are more reward driven interesting like, so but you can you can use positive reinforcement to train your cat to do things you didn't think go on youtube and look up uh cat agility you'll huh. be amazed what people can get their cats to do like run agility courses with nothing but positive reinforcement I have to believe that there's more we could get him to do. You know, I think we fall into this trap of like, oh, well, he's old and he has always had this like lacks no rules existence. But I mean, he's learned to adapt to the new house we moved him to. You know, he's animals are very adaptive. There's no such thing as you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Yeah, I think it's a story we're telling ourselves. I mean, and there are so many of those, right? Like there are so many societal things where you're like, oh, well, there's a proverb about it. So this must not be worth trying. (laughs) Yes, there are so many proverbs that have led people astray. (laughs) Yeah, all the ones about Tinder. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Oh, well, I I, I have to wonder, like, um, do you, you have, how many dogs do you guys have and cats? We have two permanent dogs. Almost always uh, one foster, yeah, and uh, and three cats, and a parrot. Okay, well, a smart parrot that requires like attention uh, and care. Don't tell my wife this, but I think our parent is uh, uh, mentally disabled and <laughs> probably stopped development around the age of two. <laughs> so a theoretically smart parrot, but you got a lemon. Yeah. Okay. We'll see, because we've got two humans, you know, my spouse and me, and one cat. And I already feel overwhelmed, overworked, like there's too much to do to just like run the house and take care of the cat. And obviously that's somewhat untrue. Like it stems into me having too many jobs and volunteer commitments and interests and stuff too. And like procrastinating on certain things that would be a lot less overwhelming if I did a little bit of work regularly, like landscaping and weeding instead of just letting it become a forest and then freaking out. But like, I don't know how you live the life you live with all those animals and nobody dies. <laughs> like, oh no! If it weren't for my wife, I would I would be just as afraid. But you know how they say like having kids changes your life because it changes your perspective. Yeah, I think that's true to some extent with 
you know, having a zoo in your house, <laughs> like you get that parental instinct and it just, it changes your priorities to a point where getting up in the morning and feeding the animals is just something you do instead of a chore that you have to keep track of. Yeah. You know, I do, I do see that attitude in my friend who has horses. Like it's, it's just a given that they have to get home by dark to feed all the animals. And like, they just can't, I don't, I, I, it's so foreign to me. Like we live like such adult children most of the time with our, you know, weird sleep and eat and alcohol and whatever habits. Like I just don't feel responsible in that way. I guess I do know that it will come because when I'm working on stuff that I care about, I have this font of productivity and organization and like, you know, have my shit togetherness that I don't have when I'm flailing amongst tasks that I don't enjoy. So I guess I feel like I should trust that the inherent, like the having kids and the having a dog will come together when, <laughs> when it happens. <laughs> it seems so dangerous to me with having kids. Like I, I made a decision a long time ago not to, because I just don't feel like I am selfless enough. And all my friends who have kids say, Oh no, that changes as soon as you have a kid. I don't want to gamble on a kid's well being. With the yeah. idea that I could change my personality 180 degrees enough to do it. Animals give me hope, but... Yeah. Well, that's uh, an interesting perspective to way to say it. Because I think that I felt like that... I've uh, We weren't even going to talk about this. This was on like, our topic list and we kind of accidentally wound up talking about it. So I'll dive in if it's okay. No, it's absolutely <laughs> fine. It's an organic conversation. And it's such a weird... So I, I think that... I don't know. Do you feel pressure from society despite that clear self-aware decision that like having kids is somehow the more upright and moral path and you're somehow wronging people's expectations by not conforming to them? I'm a rebel. Like, I mean, it doesn't you bother are. me. It, it Like I do feel that pressure. I feel like I was supposed to have kids. But I made I mean, my my original reason for the decision was I looked around, saw the overpopulation so, I mean, my wife is adopted, so I, I, you know, I had a bias to begin with, but I just don't see any reason to procreate at this point in time. So yeah. my decision was very much a rational decision, originally based. It's like when I went vegetarian, I went vegetarian because I didn't like meat. And then that evolved into more of a, an ethical standpoint. But like this, I just I start with a decision and then everything else kind of, you know, evolves around that. It's an interesting perspective. I, I, so I think I've been, we're going through fertility treatment right now. And that's something that I feel very strange and foreign about because I never wanted to have kids from that same, very similar logical perspective, like overpopulation, like not sure that I want to like sacrifice career for children that I don't have this biological urge to create. And right. I think that especially, I mean, guys get this too, but I think women just get basically told that they are supposed to be these nurturers and there's like something wrong with you. If like you're a woman who doesn't have that urge, who doesn't want to hold the baby at the shower or whatever. Like I have no, <laughs> I have very little interest in other people's babies. I happened and I married someone who's adopted too, but my adopted spouse, like I knew very early on in our relationship that he was excited to have kids because 
it sort of came up. And much like this organic conversation where I don't shy away from <laughs> topics that might be weird, I was like, well, does being adopted make you want to have your own kids more? Does it make you want to adopt more or what? And he was like, I want to have that blood connection that I've never had with family. And I, it didn't scare me away. Like this was 25-year-old me, still pretty darn sure she didn't want kids. And I've slowly over eight years with him become very excited about that prospect, but like not in the same way as I think most people would assume based on the fact that I'm like a straight seeming woman in this like, you know, typical looking relationship. And it's like, well, if I had just stayed with my college girlfriend or if I had, you know, happened to settle down with somebody who had different urges in terms of like child rearing, I could totally see having walked a different path. And I, I don't know, I find it very frustrating to feel it's not like, obviously I'm doing what I want to do because I want to do it and it's what's right for me. But it bugs me that society has ideas that incorrectly sum me up. You know what I mean? Like that constantly irks me. Well, and I think, I think between college and real life decisions are made that I mean, if I had stuck with my college girlfriend, I would probably have kids right now. And, and because I'm willing to, at that point in my life, like the decisions hadn't been set in stone yet. Mm -hmm. And I feel like things, yeah, things could have been very different, but I'm, I'm quite content with the way they are. And, and what you said about your husband wanting the blood connection is it's, it's interesting to me. I haven't, I haven't talked with a lot of adopted people. But for my wife, I mean, she grew up, she was a five-foot-tall, brown-skinned girl in a family of six-foot-tall Polish men and, huh. and a mom. Um, and so, you know, she always fully identified with this family, though. She, you know, she would stand at the bus stop with her brother, who is three feet taller than her, and a different skin color, and they were brother and sister. And there was never a question until someone, you know, would ask stupid questions. But... Um, like she never felt like she wasn't, she, like she didn't have that blood connection. And, and uh, I, I think that, I don't, I don't know if that, that probably makes a difference, but it's probably something very internal to less environmental. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's partly internal, just like Grant. I think that Grant, even if he wasn't adopted, would be the type of person who wants to, like, raise a family, who wants to, like, nurture kids. That's part of his vision. And I, I, I should um, – <laughs> he's he was adopted in the 70s to a family where, I mean, he looks not out of place, right? Like, sure. he doesn't look like a spitting image of either of his parents, but he definitely – like white, white, tall, white family adopted tall, white baby. Like, okay. Like things fit, um, in, in the sense that like, I think I got in trouble when I outed him as being adopted in our <laughs> toast at our engagement party, thanking our wonderful family for celebrating us so much. And I will probably have to finally take the trouble to create a custom Facebook group when I share, the blog post where I linked to this episode going live so that my mother's in law don't see it and aren't prompted to it. And that's, that feels weird to me because it's so not a, a negative, like not a judgment. Like he no. was adopted by a wonderful family and he loves them and feels so connected to them. And it's, I think that like he would want to have kids no matter what, but it's like, you know, for example, we're doing IVF and we both had to potentially get a bunch of weird genetic tests done. 
And when we were talking about who to test first, because sometimes you don't have to bother testing the second person if everything comes up clear on the first person, because that's how like genes work, <laughs> which I kind of forgot since, you know, seventh grade biology, whatever. But like we decided he would get tested first because he, it's like more fun for him to find out anything about his genetic past, whereas I kind of don't care and kind of know where my folks came from. So it's like, it's just this little, it's this little added bonus. And I don't have that because, you know, dad's clan is from over there and mom's clan is from over there. And yeah. there you have it. Did you ever see Easy A? Yeah. <laughs> the scene where the parents are shocked that their child knows they're adopted. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, was it Stanley Tucci who's like just gasping? Yeah. That was How'd you, a- Who told you? It was such a great humor-filled moment. It was such a comfortable, like, yeah, that's how it should work, right? <laughs> yes, that that movie altogether was amazing. It was excellent. You know, the only thing, and this is my incredibly critical QA nature that won't let me shut up and sit down when I've noticed what I consider a bug in the world. The only thing that threw me through that whole movie, but it threw me hard because I saw it in theaters, is that Emma Stone on like HD giant movie theater screen has the wrinkles of a 27 year old girl. She looks great. Don't get me wrong, but that is not a 17 year old's face in HD. And so I just was like annoyed at it, not seeming believable because every time I would see those little tiny, delightful hint of crow's feet, I was like, why couldn't you just cast someone who was actually, you know, within the range or do more makeup? Yeah. Like, or uh, yeah. There's a, a, the yeah. suspense of disbelief is, is vital. Yeah. To actually caring about a movie. If you if something pulls you out of it, whether it's you know, a, a makeup issue or a, a continuity error, there's no going back at that point. I understand that. Let me tell you something that the like this is usually I am not the person who is the best tester in the world. I am not the person who's noticing, you know, the annoying kerning issues before everyone else, right? Like I am new to design. I don't have my eyes as wide open about certain types of aesthetic details as I feel like a lot of the geeky community of at least people that I follow on Twitter. (laughs) Um, But I always notice continuity issues that happen all the time with women's hairstyles in movies and TV shows. They'll do like it'll be clearly meant to be the same scene, but it's a different take on a different day and they've parted her hair on the wrong side or the curls were done with like, I can tell a different barreled curling iron or something. And I I look at that and I go, oh my God, like this is actually evidence of the gender like inequality in Hollywood because no other chick who does her hair like I do would allow this to pass without a continuity check. Like there was a guy on Lost assigned to keeping track of where all the guns were, but nobody checked which side Juliet's hair was parted on. Come on. I tell you. I tell you. <laughs> Kids these days. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, as a side note, uh, you should get your husband a, uh, a baby hedgehog. Just to watch his head explode. I would really like that. I'm actually trying to lobby him to get a pair of pygmy goats so that we don't have <laughs> I to. Love goats. I would love that so much. So we don't have to worry about the morning glory that's taking over our entire house. Like they would just eat it. <laughs> they would. And they're hilarious to watch when they get I excited. I know. And they're like when they're young, they're the size of cats and you mm-hmm. can hold them in your arms. I'm working on him. We'll see. We'll see. Right now we're committed to cat only until we're done having children and then we'll then we'll get the dog and let you know how it goes. That but sounds like I a like smart the plan. Hedgehog. Maybe maybe one of our maybe I'll feed 
hedgehog cuteness clips to one of our kids when they're old enough until they start begging daddy for there one. There you go. Perfect and plan. I've got a master plan. He's just got to never listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll edit it out. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't need this. <laughs> All right. Well, so uh, this episode has been brought to you by Squarespace. The all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website, portfolio, and online store. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code BRETTSENTME. Brett with two Ts. Squarespace makes it simple and easy to create beautiful design for your custom website using a drag-and-drop interface. They also make it easy to get help with 24-7 support through live chat and email. And they're located in New York City, Dublin, and Portland, so you can reach Squarespace support anytime you need it, no matter where you are in the world. Plans start at $8 a month and include a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Their template includes responsive design, and every site comes with an online store. Get started with a free trial, no credit card required, and start building your website today. When you sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code BRETTSENTME to get 10% off and to show your support for Systematic. So we thank Squarespace for their continued support of 5x5 and Systematic. Squarespace, a better web starts with your website. All right, let's, nice. get, through, let's get through some top three picks. Okay, but I have to say that if I were asked to put a web hosting and uh, content management system pick in there, I would pick Squarespace. That's where I send all of the all of the newbies who are like asking me for web help. That's absolutely, they have such a great thing that they're offering. It is pretty much the de facto standard these days. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> so picks, you said. Picks. Picks. Your, um, your, your first pick first. I kind of cheated because I looked at old episodes of Systematic and I saw some people who had more than three picks. So I shunted two items into my first pick because they're both iOS games that do interesting things. Can I we'll get away survive. with that? Yes. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> so um, the first one is called Space Team and it's it's nothing new. It was developed a while ago, but it's really, really awesome. And if you haven't checked it out yet, you should. It's basically, I don't want to ruin it, but it's um, one of the more interesting interactive iOS games. You need at least two people to play. Um, it's more fun with even more. And it, it basically, I would say that it is a surprising icebreaker team builder. Um, I actually use it at my online dating, like photo happy hours where I have like a photographer shooting people while I'm kind of trying to loosen them up. This is the best loosener upper I've ever found. Um, and then my other game that I picked in there is Bounden, which is a lot newer and it's developed by Game Oven, which is this hilarious, amazing company that makes games that I love them. And this sounds so cheesy and like marketing speak, but they really do leverage the iOS platform in a different way than other types of game makers. So Bounden was made in conjunction with, I think it was the Dutch Royal Ballet, or maybe it was the Danish, one of the D countries, Royal Ballet. And uh, basically, you need two people holding the same iOS device, and it makes you recreate dance moves by using the accelerometer. It's 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 hilarious and ridiculous. We played around with it a little bit at App Camp for Girls, and I think us counselors might have had even more fun with it than the actual campers because it's so goofy and funny. And it's um, I think it's four bucks, but it's absolutely worth it. And Space Team is free with some add-on purchases, but you should purchase them because the indie developer, Henry Smith, is just badass. He sponsored my podcast once, and it's like just one of the funnest, coolest, most surprising and delightful experiences you will have on iOS. Both of those really. That looks great. We played yeah. space team, uh, me and the unofficial Apple weblog crew when it first came out at, uh, we were, I think we were at Macworld, and, uh, and it was, it was hilarious. If you get people who are invested in it, yeah, cause a lot of people will just be like, ah, this is too hard. 
Yeah. But because you have to like communicate very odd things to people in order to continue the game with high urgency yes. and uh, yeah it's it, it's it's really if you can get someone who will get over the initial awkwardness hurdle it's magical. Yes. I would agree. <laughs> All right. Well my first one's kind of I don't know if you'd call it boring. I, it's an extremely useful utility called I Better Charge. And what it does is run on your Mac and connect to your iDevices when you're on the same network and determine their battery level. And so you can set a threshold, and when your battery has drained to a certain point, it will remind you on your Mac that you need to charge your phone so you don't end up leaving the house with a phone that has 20% battery left. That's so awesome. And it works really well. Oh, that seems really, really smart. And I um, theoretically am like, well, why wouldn't need that? Because I just always plug in my phone to charge when I'm using my Mac. But that's totally a lie. It, um, yeah, I, I don't either. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, I, I have and to tell free. you, battery life is is huge. I just spent a week running around New York City and it made me want the 6 Plus, which I don't yet have, purely for increased battery life because I didn't realize how much more between GPS and like competing signals because of density. Yeah. It's important. You can't leave the house with 20% battery in New York. No, I I can't travel. My phone is old enough now that I can't travel without a great big, like minimum 8,000 hour whatever they are batteries, big, big pocket filling batteries, or I, I don't get anywhere. I've never done one of those before, but maybe with a maybe with something like this, I wouldn't need one because I it always seems so cumbersome to have to like remember and transport. It is, <laughs> it is, especially if you don't carry like a purse, which I I usually do, but I resent putting more things in it. I understand. <laughs> All, All right, right, well, I guess that's my next pick then, it right? Is. Okay, my pick is something that I heard about from I think my buddy Kai, who was another like friend from Twitter who became a business partner slash advisor slash, you know, we help each other out with our different marketing adventures, whatever. And um, it is called Boomerang for Gmail. It's Ah, an add-on. Oh, it's so useful. It's an add-on that basically you can send an email back to you in a certain amount of time. Either they have a bunch of presets or you can set your own and you can flag like only if there's no, no reply or not. So like, for example, when we were setting this up, I boomeranged it to remind me like the day before we were originally going to record just to like check in with you. And in doing so found out that you had had this horrible allergic reaction that meant that you couldn't uh, meant that you couldn't record that day. And it was a very useful, like reminder to me to check in because I wouldn't have thought to otherwise. And I might've forgotten to tell you because I was not in good shape. Right. Well, and so the other, the other thing that I love about this is that you can also queue emails to send later, which apparently is a feature finally in some email clients like Outlook, but who uses Outlook when they don't have to? Um, So you can, I use that all the time. I set up automated reminders for my clients. Like I don't have a huge automated system bugging all of my people. I like to keep it a little more indie than that and a little bit more personalized, but like I will manually set up an automated reminder to go out the day before I have a client meeting so that they remember and get a nudge to let me know if they need to cancel, whatever. Um, there is an Outlook version of this tool too, but it's crappy, really crappy. And like, why would you use Outlook unless you had to? So um, yeah, boomerang for Gmail. I love it. Awesome. Had you heard of it before? Oh yeah. I actually cool. have it installed. I, I don't use the Gmail web interface much. Ah, uh, okay. But I was, uh, that in the 
there was one that would display uh, contacts, all their social information yeah. and previous and previous conversation history at the bottom of your screen. Oh, cool. I can't remember what it's called, but I think they discontinued it this year. So, Oh, interesting. The, oh, the one caveat I want to say about Boomerang, and I'm, I'm not surprised that they discontinued that one because it almost seems like maybe, I don't know, maybe there was some privacy, blah, blah, blah. I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> but um, the one thing about Boomerang for people who listen to Systematic is like, don't use it as a crutch for things that should really be projects and OmniFocus. I've gotten in the habit of occasionally if I'm stressed out and I'm in inbox overload and I see something, but I don't want to deal with it right then, I'll just boomerang it a month later. Well, if you do that with 14 things, then you just have a really shitty next month uh, of stressful boomeranging again. Like, you know, don't, don't lean on it for things that it shouldn't be leaned on for. It should be leaned on for specific conversations that you know need to reopen at a given time, not stuff that you want to look at someday maybe that belongs in OmniFocus or whatever your someday maybe capture system is. Yes. So, yeah. I use Sane, <laughs> I use SaneBox for much the same. Cool. I, I can like forward an email to like 15M at my SaneBox email address mm-hmm. and it'll come back to me 15 minutes later. I can say next week or Wednesday and uh, and and you're right. Like there are some things that just need to become a task and be tracked. But there are some things that I really just can't deal with at the moment. Yeah. And I'll I'll send them off. You know, I have one. I have a, a box called um, annoying stuff I still want to see. Yeah. And I can just drop um, drop an email, just drag it to that folder, and it'll come back in three hours when right. hopefully I'll be in a better place to make a task out of it. But. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if you use this, but um, and I think it's public now. But once upon a time, OmniFocus's like beta sync server was still in beta, and you had to specially request it. But if you get one of those OmniFocus email addresses, if you're an OmniFocus user, like that's if you've boomeranged something twice or three times and you've never (laughs) dealt with it when it's come back to you, like you should forward that to the OmniFocus thing and then deal with it in that system instead. Right? That's at least my. I don't know, self-help. I mean, obviously I use these tools poorly and that's why I give the caveat, <laughs> but they still bring so much more value than chaos that, you know, it's, I like that they exist. <laughs> nice. All right. Is that my turn? I think so, right? Yeah. So speaking of dog training, there's a new, there, there have been these remote treat dispensers for quite a while and there are some really good ones. Um, and basically what they are, uh, you can set up a, a, a device in a crate or in a place where you aren't and you can press a button and give a dog a treat. So with this positive reinforcement, say as uh, something as simple as you want your dog to stop barking when you're not around. So you can go in another room and when they're quiet for a certain period of time, you can treat them and then you can start expanding that time without them ever having to see you. Um, so this has been improved recently. Uh, the pet tutor uh, from smart animal training is uh, it's it's almost silent, and it's designed so that instead of just being able to sit on the floor, you can hang it or uh, or put it up on top of other items. So you can position it in a way that for the training that you're doing, it's uh, aptly aligned. And uh, it's not. I I think it's available now, but uh, I I can't be sure. I'll link it, and and people interested can uh, can check it out. But my wife is very impressed with it, and uh, we're looking forward to trying it out. I'm curious. Does it? Do you think that you know, with dog discipline stuff, does it diminish the reward if you're not the one administering it, or are dogs so hungry and excited about treats that they don't care how it got to them? There are different personalities in dogs. 
Uh, uh, some dogs, like the biggest reward is a pat on the head. Like that's right. what they, that's what they crave. Right. But for most dogs, a treat in any form is still a reward. That's true for my cat, for sure. Because yeah. <laughs> I will find that he has found the butter dish and licked all of the butter out of it if I leave the cover <laughs> off it on the counter. So, like, he doesn't need a human to have given him permission. It's called food motivation. Yep. I have that, too. <laughs> yeah, me, too. I have chocolate motivation. Oh, that sounds awesome. I love technology making it better and easier to, like, make this pet stuff manageable. Oh, and this is Wi-Fi, too, and you can control it with your phone, and it has an API so you can build your own apps. What? All right, that's awesome. That's badass. You have to let me know when you make, like, the (laughs) TT Scoff Fido app or whatever. Right on. All right. Well, I guess I guess that's that's my last pick, which um, is Lena Dunham's new book called Not That Kind of Girl. I um, just tore through it on the plane ride home from New York. And I don't usually read books the entire time I'm on a plane. I, I do a lot of like sleeping, making fun of Sky Mall things, and then realizing I can't Instagram the pictures I've taken. You know, I do a lot of other stuff on the plane. Sometimes I use that sort of no boing-boing Wi-Fi because I'm too cheap for it time to clear out desktop items or OmniFocus items or whatever. But um, this time I just read Lena Dunham's book, and it's fantastic. It's funny and soulful and interesting and not... I don't know. I'm new to reading books that are collections of like short essays, but I like them from funny, interesting people. And uh, she writes a lot about sex and relationships in, in ways that I find weirdly comforting to hear people who seem like they're living good lives having gone through shitty stuff to get there. Like it makes it more relatable. <laughs> I, uh, I saw her on, I think it was on The Daily Show. Mm-hmm. And I, I've never seen Girls on HBO, um, which is where I guess her her fame comes from. Mm-hmm. But uh, but it did it it looked interesting even to me as a, a you know I'm a guy mm-hmm. who who doesn't always pay attention to things he should. Um, but it did it looked like a fascinating uh, kind of a tell all like a very raw look at at her growth in life and um, uh, exploits. Yeah, I think that's that's accurate. And like I think that um one thing that she said that so she's girls let me back up. <laughs> that was very concise. So girls girls is a good show. I think that sometimes the title alienates people, but it's really it tells interesting stories about nuanced characters that are very flawed but, you know, fun to fun to watch and you know, the writing, the direction, the editing, the everything is really really it's a well-produced thing. It's totally worth watching. Um but one of the things that it gets I don't know that it gets flack for this, but one of the things that it maybe gets unnecessary attention for is how much Lena Dunham is like awkwardly naked on the show. <laughs> and there's there's a part of her book where she says like being naked on camera and the show that I write, direct, produce and act in is not frightening to me. So that's not like brave or courageous. Like it would be brave or courageous if I, you know, I forget the example she gave, but it was like, you know, did like charity work in like Ebola ridden Africa type examples. Like there are things that would be frightening to her that are not putting her naked body on an HBO show. And it was just an interesting perspective. Like I kind of, I get that. Like I, the things that are scary to me are not the same as the things that are scary to you. 
And it's, it's very well put, much better than I'm doing it justice now. <laughs> no, I, I totally get it. I wrote about that on my birthday, how people always tell me I am audacious and courageous. And huh. it, I'm, I, I'm not at all. Like, to be courageous, you have to do something that scares you. And the stuff I do doesn't scare me. There are things that scare me. But, but. it's just what, they, what that really means. I mean, not to, like, anti-birthday you. But what those people are really saying without realizing it is that because you do things that they find frightening. Right, <laughs> like exactly. Yeah, and that's that's a different like that's a different type of praise, but it's like they're using the wrong terminology, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. All right. Cool. Um my last pick is it's a uh an outliner, and I'm not a big fan of outliners. I uh I I work in mind maps. I I don't like straight uh chronological ordered lists, but there's one called Tree that I think I talked about a long time ago that when I do need an outliner, this one spreads your outline horizontally. And for me, for some reason, it's way easier to work with and manipulate than it is in something more like uh, uh, like a standard outline. Uh, so I'm just going to mention that. I, I doubt it's going to spark a lot of conversation right now, but um, it is a very cool Mac App Store app. I'll have to check that out. I'm shamefully, I, I am bereft of any outlining or mapping techniques or technologies at all. Like I am, I just have a lot of chaotic thoughts popping around in my head and then I immediately try to write some great opus and it doesn't work well and I wonder why. So would, I will check you out You would Tree. love mind mapping. Yeah. What's your favorite? I mean, I know this isn't specifically your pick, but what is your favorite mind mapping tool? I have two. Uh, if I'm online, if I'm collaborating, if I'm sharing anything, I use mindmeister.com. And if I am working on my Mac, my current favorite is iThoughtsX. Do you ever just do pen and paper ones or is that less your way? I have never done well my entire life. If, if, if I have the option to use a keyboard, I am, I'm faster, I'm smarter, I am, uh, my handwriting is horrible. My my drawing is belabored. Uh, I just the, with with mind mapping, I feel it. It's of utmost importance to get stuff out of your head as fast as you can, and just let the ideas grow. And on paper, that just takes me too long, and I can't can't revise and quickly move things around. And yeah, paper doesn't ever work for me for this. Interesting. Well, I'll I'll totally check those out. In addition to tree, because that might be like my transitional thing, since I think. Uh, a linear outline is probably the thing that I'm most familiar with, even though it doesn't work well for me. So I, I've got some some fun stuff to check out here. <laughs> I do have an article that I'll link on how I mind map. Uh, nice. That I, I spent like a year putting together just nice. because I'm slow. Um, well, I'm excited to read it. I will. Uh, I'll send you a link. <laughs> All right. So let's tell people where they can find you. Uh, you can find me online at thehartographer.com or on Twitter at Virginia. Oh, just kidding. Ask Virginia. And I guess you can find me on app.net at VA, but I think that's kind of dying away. Yeah. And then you can find me for non-dating related stuff at virginiaroberts.com. All right. Excellent. This will all be in the show notes. Cool. And, uh, and I'm at brettterpstra.com. I am TT Scoff. Anywhere you care to look for me. I'm on LO now. I don't. I haven't ever posted anything there, but someone should friend me and show me what I'm doing. <laughs> um, and uh, and yeah, that was 
Systematic episode 117 with Virginia Roberts. Thanks for being here, Virginia. Thank you so much, Fred. It was a pleasure. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading too much about mind mapping immediately. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Take care. You too. We'll see everybody in a week. Thanks for listening. Bye.